privileged and blessed just by worshiping God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, this morning, but also doing something a little different this morning. At this time, uh, we can release Virginia Church, but uh, I've never done something like this before. This is pretty interesting. You know, I, I've done it, but I've never done it at church. And so it's something where I gave Pastor Ken the idea. is like, hey, I'm thinking of this. And Pastor Ken's been preaching for decades, and, and it takes a lot for an illustration to get him really excited that he hasn't seen before. And so I just, I hope you find what we're about to do encouraging, a blessing, and see the relevance in your life and in my life today. Uh, without further ado, I want to open up a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into this thing we call the message today. So let us pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the freedom that we have to gather together freely. Lord, I thank you just for the song that we just heard about your faithful love. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you chose to send your son to die in our place for us. So God, I pray this morning that we could just take away all the cares and concerns of our world, lay them at your feet, focus this morning on worshiping you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I pray that the spirit would just do work from the message, use me as a servant, as a vessel, just to go ahead and encourage and equip your people to do the work of the ministry. And God, not just for us here in this uh, auditorium this morning, but every ministry going on as well, from the children's church to the nursery to the sound and everything else, may you just be honored and glorified and just bless us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you can, I'm getting a little more reverb back here as well. Well, good morning. This morning we're going to do something a little different. We're going to open a little different. This morning we're going to have a moderated debate to begin the service. There's going to be a debate on which, of the, which is the best fast food restaurant around. And so this debate's going to be handled by two individuals. And taking the side of Taco Bell being the best is Mr. Drew Patrick. Glad to have you, Mr. Patrick. Thank you. Good to be here. Definitely. And then taking the side of Grumpy Dog is Mr. Will Lanham. Everybody, let's get grumpy today. How are you? Good. Are you destroying you today? Mr. Lanham. <laughs> And then we'll make sure that the microphones are turned on. Hello? You have to hold the buttons down to turn them Liv on. Liv Moss. And there we go. We'll yes. do a mic check. All right. Yo quiero Taco Bell. <laughs> what? We're in America. What would you say? That's, mm-hmm. that's all I know. <laughs> so this debate's going to consist of four rounds, which will be timed by myself on my cell phone device. Once the time is up, I will interrupt the debater and transition to the next person. The first round, each debater will have the opening arguments of 60 seconds each, where they will give reasons as to why they chose their restaurant as the best. The second round will be a 60-second period of rebuttal, where each debater will have an opportunity to rebut their opponent's choice. After that will be a 60-second cross-examination, in which there will be a question-and-answer session between the two, where one will ask questions to their opponents, and then they will switch. The debate will conclude in the fourth round with a 30-second closing statement from each as to why their restaurant reigns supreme. We have Mr. Drew Patrick with Taco Bell and Mr. Will Lanham with The Grumpy Dog. And so with that being the case, I'd like to go ahead and begin with round number one. I'm going to get the clock started. We have 60 seconds. And Drew, we're going to start with you. You'll have 60 seconds to state why Taco Bell is better than Grumpy Dog when your time is up, I will interrupt you, and then we will move on. Are you ready? Your yes, time sir. starts now. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank you for having me here. I uh, ordered a small water at Taco Bell today, and they gave me uh, 47 encouraging uh, words via sauce packets. Uh, they say, you get me, and uh, play it cool, so I will today. Uh, first of all, my favorite part of Taco Bell is that with just five simple ingredients, they're able to continue to amaze their customers with different foods. Uh, most of them related about tacos, none of them related to bells. 
However, uh, it doesn't seem to bother any of the clientele. Uh, they keep on coming because it's a consistent food. Now, after we eat the food, I will confess that nothing else in our life is consistent, more <laughs> like frequent and violent. However, uh, it remains a tasty uh, America dish. There's also no lowering the price of uh, Taco Bell for a senior discount. Everything is a senior discount. And um, so I, I think I'll just yield the rest of my time because my case is so strong. So you have four seconds. Are you wanting to concede those four seconds? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, thank you for your opening arguments. Now we're going to go over to Mr. Will Land from Grumpy Dog. You'll have 60 seconds to state why Grumpy Dog is better. And your time starts now. Well, thank you very much, Drew. I enjoyed that uh, description of Taco Bell. And thank you, Danny, for having me here today. Uh, Grumpy Dog is a great restaurant to eat at because we are family friendly. You come to my restaurant, we don't serve alcohol. Uh, your family's uh, invited to come and enjoy the food that we have. We make it fresh every day. Uh, we have three ideas in our restaurant. We want to have great food, we want to have awesome service, and we want to have a clean restaurant. And we try to meet those three goals every day at the restaurant. Um, our food is priced minimal for everybody to come, not just uh, uh, for senior citizens. Not for, uh, we have uh, for military families, for everybody, they can come and afford a meal at Grumpy Dog. Uh, we have great staff that works for us that are able to make any special order that you need. Anything that you uh, want that's not on the menu, we can prepare that for you as well. So Grumpy Dog not only accommodates you with the menu that we offer, but we try to offer things that's not available on the menu to make it a unique dining experience for you. And that's all I have to say, so thank you. <clears throat> Excellent. All right, so that was excellent opening arguments by the both of you. Uh, Will, since we ended with you, we're going to begin with you this round. And so, Will, would you like to begin your 60 seconds as far as rebuttals to Mr. Patrick's argument as to why you believe Taco Bell is not as good as Grumpy Dog? Your time starts now. Well, here's what my thinking about uh, uh, Taco Bell. You're right, five ingredients. They can make anything they want out of those five ingredients. The problem is, when me and my wife go to Taco Bell, she has special uh, dietary needs. She doesn't like onions, she doesn't eat meat. And there hasn't been one time in the past eight times that we've been to Taco Bell, they were able to get those five ingredients correct. And so every time we go there, she gets an order that we have to either take back if we're through the drive-through, of course, if we're going to the drive-thru and I'm leaving and we realize that the order's wrong, I have to turn around, go back, get on my car, and they correct it. On one occasion, they had to correct it three times. I went in the restaurant, I came out, I went in and went out. Now, this doesn't happen to everybody that eats at Taco Bell, but it happens to me and my family. So my rebuttal to you is those five ingredients are awesome if they can only get it right. <laughs> you have 15 seconds. Would you like to concede the rest of that time? Yeah, I'll concede it. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Lanham. Mr. Patrick, you'll have 60 seconds to rebut why you believe Grumpy Dog is not as good as Taco Bell, and your time begins now. Well, uh, I would like to defend the uh, customer service experience of, of Taco Bell. They got you to come back at least three times. <laughs> as far as Grumpy Dog is concerned, uh, I prefer my hot dogs, you know, happy, enjoyable, not necessarily grumpy with me or the world. Um, I, I too have a number of toppings in my refrigerator that I could put on a hot dog, um, whether I choose to or not. Um, one other thing that I think it may be a weakness of Grumpy Dog and you might consider expanding is the fact that it is only in Wetumpka, where I could go and get the same consistent meal at any Taco Bell in America with the same results. Uh, perhaps if Grumpy Dog expanded, we could get more exposure to your restaurant and, and be able to make a decision on whether we enjoy it or not. Thank you, Mr. Patrick. So round three will result in cross-examination where you will ask questions and give answers and replies, sort of more of a discussion-based format. You'll still have 60 seconds, and since we ended with you, Mr. Patrick, we're going to begin this round with you. And so your 60 seconds to begin this question and answer dialogue session begins now. Uh, one question that uh, we were um, given in the polls was uh, whether or not all of your hot dogs are all meat. See, back in the day there was a study on Taco Bell and they just came forward and said, you know, it's not all meat. So I'm wondering if your <laughs> hot dogs are in fact all, all meat hot dogs. They are. We actually use an all beef hot dog. 
our chili's made with all beef. Uh, we have no uh, fillers or anything that's added to our chili, it's just tomatoes, chili, and seasoning. So everything that we use in the restaurant are uh, ingredients that you can identify with your eyes. You don't have to read a label to determine what that long word is behind the Taco Bell meat that you use. Uh, a point in our favor for having literate customers. Thank you. Uh, one, uh, I think the next question goes to you. You can keep discussing. You have 15 seconds. Oh, okay. Um, I did have one other question, but I, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> just blew me away, that answer. Okay, so we'll concede the rest of that time. Yes, that's fine. And so, Mr. Land, you'll have 60 seconds to ask Mr. Patrick any questions you'd like as far as Taco Bell or anything. And your time starts now. Certainly. You know, Taco Bell has been around for a long time, and they do have some issues with the, the beef problems. They've had some issues with... Uh, uh, people using other people's names in their advertising and stuff like that, and they are a national brand, and everybody knows Taco Bell. But when you go to one Taco Bell or another Taco Bell, is your service as consistent as you guarantee with you, what you just said? I can guarantee that it is consistently subpar. <laughs> um, which, if you set the bar low, you meet the bar every time. <laughs> And so I would say that's less of a flaw, more of a feature. Our clientele knows what they're getting. As long as they have pocket change to pay for the cheapest gas in America, they will receive the cheapest gas in America. All right. And, and one other thing as a restaurant owner, do you think it's cost effective that they give you 55 packs of sauce with every time you order a taco? <laughs> I think they just want to keep the good experience going. As I said before, it's a lot of uh, encouraging words. This one says, makes me happy. Uh, this one says, besties. Mm. And I, I think it's part of their marketing to make you return because there is no taco like a Taco Bell taco. Sure. And so you have to match your sauce to your tacos. Okay. Well, thank you, Mr. Lanham, Mr. Patrick, for those cross-examinations. Some good questions going, some good discussions, and I see we're dropping some nails in a few different products and ideas, mm -hmm. so I like that. And the question about meat and the question about the 5 million packets, mm -hmm. this is great. So far, very cordial, and I really appreciate that. So now we're in round four with the closing statements. You'll each have 30 seconds to give closing remarks as to why your particular choice is better than the, your opponent's. And again, since we ended with you, Mr. Lanham, we're going to start this round with you. Your 30 seconds to give your closing remarks begins now. I will say this. I enjoy Taco Bell. I enjoy the Dorito Loco Taco Supreme. Uh, I get that every time I go there. However, when I match it up to a homemade custom-built grumpy dog there's nothing better in the world we make our own pimento cheese we make our own coleslaw we make our own chili everything that we make is fresh made right there in the store our store so when you come to grumpy dog you get something that's made fresh every day and i do have to say that our grumpy dog is far superior than any taco that you're going to get at taco bell because that stuff is made fresh every day excellent thank you mr lanham mm -hmm. mr drew patrick your 30 seconds for closing remarks begins now as far as Taco Bell is concerned, um, we don't need your love. We have the support of a nation. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when it comes to whether you would want a hot dog or a taco, there just is no comparison. It's a hot dog and a taco. Um, however, if you've got some spare change and hunger in your belly and you're not anywhere near Wetumpka, come to Taco Bell. Live Moss. Um, grab the new box, whatever it is. It's probably the same thing as before, just in a different arrangement. So, appreciate your business. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our moderated debate. I would like to thank each of our debaters for spending their time and arguing for why their restaurant reigns supreme for their time, their preparation, their cordial discussions as well. And I would like to thank the audience also uh, for your being able to be here and just listen to this debate and for your time. We know there's many places you could be, but you chose this Sunday morning to be here. I know for this specifically. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we do like to thank you for that. So thank you for sharing in this special moment with us. And let's give our debaters a round of applause. How many people have seen that before in a church service? I mean, I know we've moderated debates at churches and venues before, but at a particular Sunday morning service. Interesting, huh? How many people were convinced that Taco Bell is better than Grumpy Dog? Show of hands. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, that was like two more than what I expected. So...
I promise you there is relevance in what we just saw this morning, and we're going to look at that. That was fun, was it not? That was fun. Our text this morning is going to be in Acts chapter 19, but I had this idea to, to moderate a debate like this because I wanted to just allow you to realize debates are all around us. We debate every time, every day. Most discussions are formulated in a debate. Most discussions have your opening arguments. It has your rebuttals. That's cross-examinations. And then many times your closing arguments. For instance, where's my Alabama Roll Tide fans in here? Okay. So anybody just blurt it out. Why is Alabama better than Auburn? What? They are. They are. Okay. Why? More wins. More wins. More champions, okay. We're my Auburn fans. Okay, there's four of us. Why is Auburn better than Alabama? Because not Alabama. <laughs> not Alabama because they're not what, Lauren? They're not, not, cocky. not cocky, okay. Nice. Compared to Alabama. They have all their teeth. Wow. Okay. Oh, we took a different direction than I uh, had expected. Yeah. So, discussing our favorite football team, why Alabama's better, why Auburn's better, why Alabama doesn't like Auburn, why Auburn doesn't like Alabama, that's essentially what you saw up here. You gave your opening argument on which is better. You gave your reasons why you like yours better. You even heard from some that was a step ahead of me why they didn't like or why they rebutted the opponent. One has more teeth than the other. One's more cocky than the other. Things like that. In a simple discussion like that, you had a debate. You just didn't have a formal, moderated debate like this. We debate all the times. What's better, a Camaro IROC Z or a Dodge Challenger Sheol Cat? <laughs> you know, Corvettes, Dodges, Mustangs, cars. What about coffee shops? You know, Sweetheart Coffee, Eliano's, West Main Street. There's debates all around us. And what I want us to think about this morning is the fact that Some principles of debates, what I call principles of persuasion, I want to look at how should we handle these quote-unquote debates when we're dealing with people in discussions in our day-to-day lives. So I want to use Drew and Will's debate and look at Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, and discuss some things. This is going to be a very concise message. This is going to be very pointed to very practicality of our faith and what are we supposed to do with this information. And so with that being the case, Acts chapter 19, we're just going to start in verse number 8 and stop and we'll move on from there. So in Acts chapter 19, verse number 8, we read, and he, speaking of the apostle Paul, went into the synagogue, which was in Ephesus, and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. You see, Drew and Will had a debate this morning. Their debate topic specifically was, what was better, Taco Bell or Grumpy Dog? Now, if you're like most people, you already came to the debate with a preconceived idea, a bias. How many people, when they first saw the title, were Team Grumpy Dog being better? Okay, as I expect. I expected all hands, but hey, you can't win them all, I guess, Well, You know, Drew had like one good point in there as far as Taco Bell is concerned. But you already come with preconceived ideas and notions. So here Paul is going to the synagogue in Ephesus. And what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so as Paul does on his missions trips, missions journeys, he first tries to find the synagogue. If there is no synagogue, he'll go to a local body of water because if there's not enough Jewish men for a synagogue, uh, they, they will meet at the local body of water for their service. I believe it's 10 Jewish men you need for an established synagogue in the area, which is, if you look in the book of uh, 
when you look when he's in Philippi, that's why he meets Lydia at the brook, because there was no established synagogue there. And so what Paul's debate topic was the kingdom of God. And doubtless to say he was speaking about the prophecies of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, and the Messiah's relevance in their world today, and how they needed to receive Messiah by faith alone for salvation. Now here in verse number 8, we see that he was disputing and persuading You see, in other words, disputing. He was debating with the people there at the synagogue. Now, a lot of times people think the idea, the word debate is a bad word. But the debate is not a bad word. As you can tell with etymology, is a debate is simply giving a reasoned argument for the good and the bad, just discussing why one idea, thought, or opinion is better than the next. So debate is not a bad word. I've heard a lot of times before dealing with Christian apologetics that people will say, you can't argue anybody into heaven. You can't debate anybody into heaven. You can't persuade anybody into heaven. While I will agree that you have to have faith alone in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins, and that is the only way that we can receive the free gift of eternal life, Scripture does clearly record that we can persuade people into the faith into really considering the claims of Christ, the claims of Christianity, Scripture, things like that. For instance, when we read through the book of Acts, we see many times Paul was in the business of persuading people in the faith. The Greek word pytho in the Greek is the Greek word used for convincing or persuading somebody in the faith. So just as Drew and Will attempted to persuade us As far as which was better, Taco Bell or a grumpy dog, so too should we as Christians seek to persuade other people as far as matters of the faith. Like I said, we have discussions all the time. Favorite football team, favorite coffee shop, favorite car, favorite TV show, favorite whatever. When was the last time we talked about our favorite religion or talked about the only Savior? When was the last time we had discussions and conversations about that? To seek to persuade people of the claims of Christ. You see, as an apologist myself, in two senses of the word. First, I apologize to Rebecca quite often because I've realized I am wrong most of the time, except for mayonnaise. I was not wrong about mayonnaise yesterday, and that's a score me and Alyssa will both have. Thank you, Miss Rebecca. But uh, I'm wrong most of the time. So in that regard, I am an apologist. But I'm also an apologist in the other sense of the word, and I know we have some apologists here as well, which simply means to give a reason or a defense for one's belief or one's view and specifically a Christian apologist. So defending the faith, defending the claims of Christ, the claims of Scripture, why is Christianity the only true religion, things of that nature. But many times what we find out is when we are trying to defend the faith, many times our emotions get involved. We get rude. We get aggressive. We get confrontational. And I want to just bring out one thing first right off the bat that Paul tells us the same author in the book of Colossians that we're talking about here on how are we supposed to do this apologetic? How are we supposed to debate or discuss with people? And in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6, Paul says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. And so the first thing I want us to look at is the fact that there is a debate topic that the world needs to debate about, to discuss, that we need to invoke our faith to go ahead and share our faith with people out there. It's great debating football teams and coffee shops, but we need to also discuss and debate our Savior because all that is vain and futile and pointless because that's all temporal. That's the only remedy for an eternal cure. And as, as was sung this morning by Lauren and Hunter, that is the only place where we can find a faithful love. This world is looking for love in all the wrong places. And the love that they need, no one wants to talk to them about. Family, there is a discussion, a debate to be had. 
So I would encourage us the first thing this week, let us pray for opportunities to have this discussion in the world with grace seasoned with salt, in love and with meekness. You see, the second thing I want to look at is in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 19, verse 9. But, so here Paul is speaking in the synagogue about the things of the kingdom of God. And then it says, but when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. Paul is out here on his missions trip trying to tell people about Jesus. There's many people that didn't believe. There's many people that spoke evil of Christ, of his faith, probably of him as well. You see, I'm curious, by show of hands, how many people did Drew convince that were on Team Grumpy Dog to join Team Taco Bell? Anybody show of hands? Okay. You see, that's sort of what Paul was going through. I'm sorry, Drew, maybe if it was against Wendy's or something, you know, you may have convinced some people other, otherwise, but card, the deck was stacked against you. I, I'm sorry, buddy. So Paul went in there essentially trying to convince people to persuade them of things that are better. And they went in there with presuppositions and their biases. They already had their minds made up. And it says divers, there is a good group of them that did not believe, that were not persuaded by Paul's arguments. And not only that, they spake evil of Paul and his message. If you read the book Acts and you follow the travels of Paul, you, you realize the fact that there is a Jewish group of people that follow him from town to town, seeking to speak evil of him, of him, his message, trying to harass him, trying to persecute him, arrest him, and even stoning him. Uh, what I believe, I believe he died and he was risen again, uh, but uh, him and Barnabas out there. But there was a measure of persecution because he was simply trying to tell people about Christ. You see, we must never believe that our success and faithfulness in ministry is ever measured in results. Our success is never measured. In, if we look at results as a measurement of success, then we got to conclude that the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel were horrible failures. Because when Ezekiel took the message, when God had commissioned Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to send you to Israel, and they're not going to listen to you. They're a stubborn and rebellious house. They will not listen. And then you all know the story of the prophet Jeremiah, considered the weeping prophet. But you know what? Success is never measured in results. It's only measured in obedience. If God is calling us to do something, or if we know Scripture says we should do something, it matters not how many people are persuaded of the claims of Christ. It matters if we follow through with what God has called us to do. That is success, basically obedience. You see, not only that, most people, well, let me ask you this. Drew, did Will change your mind in the middle of the debate as far as uh, Grumpy Dog being better? Better than Taco Bell? He made me want to visit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Will, did Drew convince you that Grumpy Dog was less than Taco Bell? No. <laughs> if you ever look at debates, the debaters never change their opinion. Debate's not about the debaters, it's about the audience and the people listening. So what these debaters are trying to do, they're trying to do what Greg Kokel of Stand to Reasons Ministry does, talks about. They're seeking to put stones in shoes. Let me explain. Have you ever gone walking, maybe you're hiking, and you just get a pebble in your shoe? You know, it is just, it's annoying. You just stones, gravel. And so what, you got to go ahead and take your shoe off and shake it out, put it back on. Stone in your shoe. It's this irritation that you have to deal with it. Many times when we're trying to persuade somebody of the Christian faith, the claims of Christ, why we believe what we believe, they're not going to be convinced right then and there. But what we should try to do is put a stone in their shoe. Give them something to consider.
consider and just chew on and meditate on. Because in the midst of the debate, there is pride, there is ego, there's arguments, there's biases already present. But it's in the stillness of the night. It's in the trials of life in which people start considering things. And when the Spirit just sort of drums things back up, that stone you place in their shoe now becomes an irritation that they have to wrestle with. One of the biggest stones and shoes that I've learned of from Dr. Frank Turek of Cross-Examined Ministries is the fact on considering, when we're looking at the creation of the universe, did matter create the mind or did mind create matter? Matter, the physical properties, cannot create abstract thoughts, cannot create dreams, cannot create the metaphysical. Matter can only essentially create matter, if you will. You need a mind to create matter. You need something outside of time, space, and matter. And that's what we would call God. So that would be one stone in the shoe to put in their, one stone to put in their shoe as far as did mind create matter or matter create mind when we're looking at creation in the universe. And there's many other ways you can try to give little nuggets for people to chew on. One of them is Pascal's wager. Now, in a nutshell, Pascal's wager is more or less, it, it was something that uh, I want to say it was a, an agnostic philosopher really uh, God used to give me some thinking of my own, saying, would you rather want to live your life believing there is not a God to find out there is? Or live your life believing there is a God to find out there not? There's not. In essence, Pascal's wager is, when we're living and the choices we're making, which worldview has the best idea with the least consequences? And so in essence, what that agnostic philosopher was telling me, would I rather live my life believing there is a God to find out there's not? If that was the case, oh, no harm, no foul, I cease to exist. Or would I rather live my life thinking there's not a God to find out there is? Oh, there's eternal consequences with that. Pascal's wager in a nutshell is a very good stone to put in their shoe. Again, people aren't going to be persuaded there on the spot, most likely. But you'd also be interested to find out the fact that, like I said, the debates, they're for the audience. You'd be surprised how many people are listening to your conversation. How many people are just eavesdropping into what you're saying? And by that, now you're passively influencing another person that may have been struggling all along. And so never let your view of success be dictated on the results you see because it's not the results that provide that success. It's the obedience. You see, there are times when we're talking to people out there on, on the faith and they want to do what, what's called steamrolling you, steamroll you. They want to try to steamroll you with a whole bunch of, quote-unquote, facts. Oh, the Bible was written by man. Oh, it was copied time and time again. It's like the game of telephone. You tell this person one thing. You go down the list, 500 people. Now the story is completely different. Oh, Jesus is just a myth made up of different pagan thoughts of Horus and Dionysus and Mithra and yada, yada, yada. They want to try to steamroll you with all these facts. I've had to learn the hard way. i got to get over myself. I'm not there to answer every single objection. I don't even know the answer to every single objection because I'm not a mission. But there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I don't know. Let me look at that and, you know, can I come back and we can talk about that. Now, we do have videos talking about all this stuff that I just mentioned. But we have to realize we are not there to answer every single objection. We are there to just try to put a stone in their shoe and see how long a cordial conversation can go. You see, in debates and discussions, one of the best things to do and to say is, okay, you, you mentioned that Jesus Christ is uh, you know, made up from pagan mythology. Could you elaborate on that? What pagan god uh, was Jesus borrowed from? 95% of the time, they're not even going to know. They're just regurgitating. And then if you know, you'd be like, oh, by the way, yeah, they thought it was uh, Dionysus because Dionysus claimed to do water to wine. But guess what? Uh, 
That claim is also, number one, false, fictitious. The claims of Dionysus, the claims of Mithra's virgin birth that you claim. Mithra was born out of a rock. Unless you claim that a rock is a virgin, completely different from the legend and that of the claims of Jesus Christ. Once you ask them to elaborate, what do you mean? Can you explain on that? You realize most people, they don't know what they're talking about. That's another stone to put in their shoe. Maybe you actually look into the evidence and the claims of these things. But the other thing we need to realize is people are not the enemy. In 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verses 25 and 26, Paul says that in trying to reach people, we need to do so in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. These people, they're either willfully choosing to harden themselves, they're captive by the devil to do his bidding. And if we know somebody is in bondage and enslaved to something, shouldn't we want to free them and liberate them from that captivity? Don't we have the answer? They're not the enemy. They're being controlled and enslaved by the enemy. You see, one thing I loved about Will and Drew's debate up here is they didn't argue, again, they didn't fight each other. They didn't attack characters. One of the fallacies within uh, logical arguments is called an ad hominem, and it's when you try to discredit someone's argument because of their character or because of any aspect of them that you don't like. You're attacking the character of the person rather than the argument itself. A lot of times that's what happens when we get into these debates and these discussions. People want to attack our character and attack us, and sometimes our flesh gets the better of us, and we want to attack them. Oh, you're not listening just because you're, you're a stubborn guy and you're just blinded. Is that grace seasoned with salt? And it's not. We need to realize that the people that don't believe are captured by the devil. So, in Acts chapter 19, verse number 9, at the end of that verse, he says, okay, there was many that didn't believe, they spake evil, but what did Paul do? It says, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Paul didn't sit back and continue to try to reach people when they were completely shut down. And when they're trying to steamroll us with all these objections, you got to know when to just walk away graciously. It is better to just walk away and keep our testimony rather than to just continue trying to fight and casting our pearls before the swine. Like I said, we have got to get over ourselves and remember why we're debating. I've had to learn this early on. These discussions are not an academic battle. It's easy as an apologist to get wrapped up into the philosophy of everything, to look at the five you know, arguments for the existence of God, to look at uh, all these other aspects like Occam's razor and things like that. It's easy to get wrapped up in philosophy. But when you do that, we, we start focusing on an academic pursuit as opposed to the spiritual battle that Paul says in 2 Timothy that they're captured by the devil. You see, the final thing I want us to see in this passage is in verse number 10. So Paul, he separates. Those that believed Paul or wanted to keep hearing, they followed Paul. And in verse number 10, it says, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. You see, because of Will and Drew being willing to debate up here, that was fun, wasn't it? That was funny, huh? I imagine some of you might talk to your friends and your family be like, what'd you do at church this morning? Oh, us, we, we had a debate. We had a debate at Taco Bell and Grumpy Dog. Can you believe that? And by you sharing this information, guess what? More people are hearing about the debate that they just had. The same thing is happening in this situation. 
that when Paul is reaching these people in Ephesus, and he spends two years in this uh, location, whether it's a rented facility or whatever people believe it is, no one's really sure what the school of Tyrannus is. Maybe it's just like a lecture hall, a debate hall, if you will. But for two years, with people coming in and out of the city, people are hearing this. Then they're going off into their back, back to their homes. Now they're telling other people. And so now we're told all of Asia, not the Far East, but this is Asia Minor. This is in the Turkish area. They have all heard the message that Paul has shared. And it's because Paul saw a debate to be had. He wanted to persuade people. He learned when, okay, they're not listening. This is detracting more than helping. I need to separate those people that wanted to hear and were curious. Come follow me. Let's, let's talk over here. That they had more discussions. And because of that, we're told all of Asia Minor had heard the message Paul was giving. You see, if you're not in the debate right now, I ask you, pray about opportunities to discuss matters of faith with the people that need to hear. If you are, don't get tripped up by the scoffers that will come and will make fun of you. They will come and make fun of you. Let me give you a case in point. We have our C4C apologetics ministry I'll talk about here in a little bit. But I did a video a while back called Dear Atheist, 10 Things You Should Stop Saying. And basically in the video, I talk about you need to stop saying that there are no geniuses, IQ geniuses, that believe in Christianity because, uh, yes, there are, and I have resources to show that science is contrary to Christianity. Huh? Wrong. Uh, that Christianity has caused much evil. Wrong. You know, and so I have this video saying 10 things. Please stop saying atheists. At least do your fact check, right? And 2,000 views, that's, that's not too bad, you know, for a video. Well, it won't take long before you actually find out that we have some response videos. I have uh, one guy, lovely picture of me. Now you know I have a beard. <laughs> but he takes my video and he looks at all the 10 and he tries to rebut every single one. He's making fun of me in the process. Of course, you could tell by the thumbnail image where I just look like a doofus, right? Scoffers making fun of me. But guess what? 25,000 views. He took my video. He didn't trim anything. He stopped it, talked, played, stopped, talked. 25,000 people have watched my video saying, Dear Atheist, stop doing this. Now, if you were to go to the comment section, yeah, most of them are like, ha, oh, this guy's a looney tune, you know. But most people don't comment. How many people did God use that video to reach? And I'm th I think of Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in there do rejoice. Yea, and will rejoice. If you go out there and you try to tell people about your Christian faith, and you try to tell them why all the five major theories, or really hypotheses, of the empty tomb being empty are wrong, and that the only reasonable explanation is a supernatural explanation, if you try to tell them that, if you try to tell them that the historicity of Jesus Christ is so well attested that virtually no scholar, atheist or not, disbelieves Jesus's historical being, if you try to tell them that, many times you'll get laughed at, you'll get mocked, you'll have scoffers speaking evil of you. But I encourage you, keep going. Because it doesn't matter to me anymore. It did in the beginning, but it doesn't matter to me anymore what people think about me or what they say about me. I have to get over myself. And we all need to get over ourselves as well. And realize is given unto us what not only to believe on Christ but what suffer for His sake. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. They don't like the truth because with the truth comes exposure from the light. 
You see, seen in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, and sort of looking at it from our debate here, we do debates all the time. But I want us to focus on, number one, that there's a debate to be had, that there's a world out there that needs to know about the claims of Christ, that we need to realize that people aren't going to receive our message, and that's fine. That's fine as long as our success is measured in obedience rather than results. We also need to realize that we need to be loving in it, in that they're not the enemy, they're being captured by the enemy. You see, many people will say, you can't argue anybody into heaven, you can't debate anybody, you can't persuade. I'll introduce you to a man by the name of David Wood. Now, David Wood, I believe it was his college debate team that had traveled. And while at a debate team or a debate event, David became roommates with a particular person on his team. David was a Christian. The other man was not. One evening, as David opened his Bible, the other man started questioning David about the Bible, translations, attempting to uh, discredit the preservation of Scripture. Rather than being argumentative, David simply asked the man to share why he believes it's corrupted. After the man explained his views, David didn't get angry. Instead, he simply told the man that there are thousands of manuscripts available and that there are thousands and thousands of quotes from the early church fathers and that we can recreate the entire New Testament by putting all these back together, as well as the fact that the people who wrote the New Testament were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. The man didn't believe David because he assumed he was making it up. Why? Because no other Christian this man had interrogated ever brought up these claims of the Bible. They both sought to convert each other to the other religion. They continued dialogue, and as the time went on, they were both studying. They had a friendship to where they knew this person is trying to convert me because he loves me. This person is trying to convert me because he loves me. It's, it's done in love. The areas where this man needed persuasion was that Jesus was the Lord, that Jesus was crucified, and that he rose again on the third day. Through an open reading of the Bible and David's help, the man was gaining clarity, and it just so happened a debate came to town that was over the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Famed apologist Michael Lycona was debating Shabir Ali, who is a Muslim apologist. During the debate, there were arguments for and against the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the man concluded, based on what's known as the minimal facts of the resur resurrection, that based upon that, the evidence for the resurrection was very convincing. After some internal struggle and re God reaching him, Nabil Qureshi was persuaded in the faith of Christianity and placed his faith in his Savior. Afterwards, Nabil wrote a book. He wrote a book entitled, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And since its publication, it sold half a million copies and was translated in 28 languages. He has had many speaking engagements, a ministry followed by thousands of people, and had probably spoke to more than a million people about Jesus Christ. Nabil was able to be persuaded of Christianity because of the witness and debate with his friend David Wood. Nabil may not have ever been saved had it not been for David. No doubt David had been ignored and attacked many times about his faith for trying to share the gospel, yet he kept finding opportunities. Family, we could be like David, who's the founder of Acts 17 Ministries, and no matter how many times we're being persecuted, how many times we're being laughed at, how many times we're being mocked, you have no idea the influence you'll have on an individual and the power God can use that person for the cause of Christ in the world. And because of David's persuasion, I would gather to say almost all the Muslim world heard of the kingdom of God under Nabil Qureshi's ministry. You see, our debate this morning was fun. It was entertaining. I love the humor these guys have. But I wanted to show we do this every day. Can we pray and find opportunities to do this about things that have eternal significance? There's no better time to discuss and debate the claims of Christ than this Easter season. We have less than a month and we're celebrating the resurrection. Can we pray for opportunities to share our faith with those that need to find love?
You see, one thing I've learned is the fact that many people are willing, but they're scared to share faith. They're scared to engage. And part of that is because, number one, they're not trained on how to engage. Number two, they don't have resources uh, to help equip them to share. What I want to do is just give you three different things. And this is not about me. This is about our apologetics ministry I would like to share. First, we have Contending for Christ Apologetics, which most of you are familiar with, with C4C. We have many interviews. We have interviews from a lot of people in our church. We have Rebecca. She didn't know she was being interviewed one time. We did a secret interview, and, and it was so fun. We have Rebecca. We have interviews with Pastor Ken. We have Matt, Gabe, Woody, Caleb Downing, Matt Mace. We also have interviews from internationally known speakers, theologians, scientists, scholars, Dr. Charlie Bing, Dr. Fred Shea, Dr. Arnold Frutenbaum, Answers in Genesis staff, Greg Kokel, Kent Hoving, and we're, we're working scheduling with Lee Strobel. So this ministry, the goal is to reach the world for Christ through biblical teaching and apologetics. As I like to say, trying to help the Christian think through their faith. You see, we have this ministry on YouTube, Rumble, we have podcasts, audio, things of that nature, even the website, C4C Apologetics. I encourage you to check out the website, share it. It's not me, it's us as a church, and we have a lot of people here that have done this. The second thing I'd like to share that maybe you would find useful is we've started creating little cards. And basically what this is, is these are just tools. You can pass them out, you can keep them, whatever. This one talks about recommended resources as far as the Christian faith. The other side is one that talks about a very common question most people have. If God, why suffering? The problem of theodicy. If God is good and loving, why do we have evil in the world? So this goes through four different explanations. The fall, realization that something is wrong, consequences, and rehabilitation. And so I'd encourage you, after service, find these and take it. Share them, whatever the case is. I do know the font on this one is particularly small. We're going to work on making the font a little bigger. And finally, we have these business cards for contending for Christ. These are kind of uh, intriguing and curiosity because it doesn't say anything other than the fact that what is truth, then it has a QR code on the back side. What the QR code does is it takes you to a particular part of the website that has a very clear gospel presentation and it has a video from Lee Strobel as far as evidence is for the resurrection. And it's a great tool. I would encourage us, especially as we see this Easter season coming, to get involved in debating and discussing our Christian faith with people that need to know about Christ. To pick up some of these tools, just leave them on the table at the restaurant, give them to people at work, whatever the case is. Now, we all have the tools. And if you want training, let me know or talk to some other evangelists here. But my encouragement this morning and my desire as far as this debate is concerned, like I said, is to get us involved in sharing what we believe and why we believe it in a method that is loving to realize that people aren't the enemies, that they're captured by the devil and enslaved, and that we need to be engaged in this fight. And so I'll just encourage all of us to pray, God, give me opportunities to talk to somebody about you. Amen? Amen. God, I thank you for this morning and just uh, the illustration and the fun time we've had. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just give us burdens, give us uh, clarity, give us uh, just a focus to get more involved in the community and reaching our community for their faith. Lord, give us the boldness, give us uh, the ability to use the resources and the tools as well. You know, we just thank you for that burden. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.